Hello SFIA audio listeners, in this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters, we'll take a look at what sorts of alien behemoths might be possible under known science. To hear it and every episode early and ad-free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash IsaacArthur and use my code IsaacArthur. This episode is sponsored by Skillshare. Many a good and great thing has risen from the ashes after a fire consumed what came before. It is possible our universe may be one such example, destined to be torn apart in the fiery birth of a successor. So today we are returning to our Civilizations at the End of Time series to discuss the Big Rip, one potential scenario for how our universe might end. In our earlier episodes, Black Hole Farming and Iron Stars, we were contemplating how civilizations could survive even after all the stars in the universe had burned out, many trillions of years from now. This is the fate of the universe in scenarios such as heat death or proton decay, that slowly run the clock out as the universe expands and cools and entropy wears us out. The Big Rip goes a very different way, by pulling the universe apart even faster than it currently expands, and eventually escalating those expansion forces, what we call dark energy or phantom energy in some cases, until they are so powerful they can rip whole atoms apart, not just galaxies. Which might seem like a peculiar comment if you're not already familiar with dark energy and Hubble expansion, given that ripping atoms or their nuclei apart should be easier than ripping apart entire galaxies, which is certainly true, so we'll explain that today too. Now for those familiar with Hubble expansion, odds are you have heard of the Big Rip scenario before, even if just in sensationalist headlines about the universe being destroyed in 20 billion years. Now the 20 billion year figure, as we will explain in a moment, is entirely poured out of a hat, we have no reason to expect it would be that particular timeline, indeed it could be shorter, or it could be longer. The paper originally discussing this matter had a range of values, for constant, we do not know the value for, and they picked the number negative 1.5 for being rather round and demonstrating the concept. Plugging a value of negative 1.5 into the equation results in a doomsday about 20 billion years from now, a different value would give a different timeline, and most probable figures definitely tilt to longer timelines. Now 20 billion years is still a huge chunk of time, about half again as long as the universe has already been around, but it is very different than the thousands of times longer it takes for us to run out of stars, or the trillions of trillions of times even that which we envision for black hole based civilizations. Needless to say, Civilizations preparing for a doomsday so wildly different will behave differently. As a quick example, the Big Rip is one of the end-universe scenarios that offers some hope of a recycled universe, akin to the Big Bang and Big Crunch repeating scenario, and a civilization that thought it was going to be obliterated in the recreation of a new universe, whose fate is the same, is very likely to be a lot more into cyclic time philosophies. Now we are interested in how such civilizations would behave if this fate of the universe was the correct prediction, but to do that we need to first discuss how it functions, as it's not simply a moment of random obliteration. So let's start at the beginning, the Big Bang. We have a tendency to say the whole universe began from a single point that exploded outwards, but we do not know that. We know that our observable universe seems to have come from something very tiny. It is quite possible the universe is infinite in size, 
and was all the way back at the Big Bang, just all portion of it was not. Our observable universe is finite, and came from another finite and vastly smaller bit. Light from other areas will never reach us as a result of our universe getting bigger, faster than the light can travel, but that does not mean it is not there. Of course it also does not mean it is there, we just do not know, and this isn't a controversial idea, it just doesn't get discussed much as essentially something we cannot determine at this time. It can bug folks sometimes though because if you say the universe began infinite size, people can get confused how it can continue expanding. The simple answer is that infinity is not a number, and infinity plus infinity is still infinity but it is a bigger infinity. Infinity plus 1 equals infinity 2, but those two infinities are not equal, again, infinity isn't a number. If you are having problems seeing how two infinities can be different in size, consider that if you count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, etc, you could keep counting on to infinity, but then in between each of those integers they are more numbers, 1.2, 2.2, 3.14159, and infinite numbers between each. Nonetheless, all the numbers between 1 and 2, if added up, are smaller than the sum of all integers, or the sum of all numbers between 9 and 10. So too, a one-dimensional line might be infinitely long, but an area infinitely long and infinitely wide is still bigger, as would be a volume infinitely tall, wide, and long. So again, infinity is not a number and essentially wrecks any finite calculations. It also tends to wreck logical constructs, something we looked at more in our episode Things Which Will Never Exist, because people will try to use it as a number, and since the transitive property of equality says that if A equals B, and B equals C, then C equals A, then if A equals infinity and C equals infinity, why A must equal C. Which is why I'm emphasizing this, because it results in bad logic like taking a perfect square and a perfect circle and saying the square equals the circle since they both equal perfect. So an infinite thing that came from expansion as a point-like object isn't really possible, no matter how fast it expanded it still would never get to infinity, and for this reason if we lived in an infinite universe it would have been infinite back to the Big Bang too, but that it was smaller in the past, if still infinite, with each current chunk of it having come from a tiny earlier section. Now you might be wondering why we are dwelling on all that, and it's because a lot of prior models of the universe and eschatology, the study of end times, tend to have a lot to do with extrapolating around infinity at some point and often get screwed up or misinterpreted as a result. For instance, for most of humanity's modern period, the scientific consensus was that the universe always was around and was infinite in size, and this was extrapolated from Newton's theory of universal gravity, since an infinitely big universe seemed the only way to avoid everything collapsing from gravity. This was at odds with the dark sky paradox, or Orbos paradox, and our understanding of thermodynamics, but it persisted for a few centuries until the Big Bang model. See Jade from Upper Adams' episode on that paradox for an explanation of its importance and eventual solution. We might chuckle at that paradox existing for centuries with that theory of the universe, insisting on a theory even when it is blatantly contradicted by other known science, but this is often necessary in science. Apparent paradoxes with other scientific principles 
are not a reason to throw a model out in and of itself. For instance, we found that the universe, the part we can see anyway, was expanding, and in recent years we found that that expansion seems to be accelerating. This is where the big rip comes in, but it's also where dark energy comes in and, critically, we have no idea where dark energy comes from. One of our laws in physics is conservation of energy, that it can be neither created nor destroyed, merely changed in form. However, space-time itself takes energy to exist, so when new bits of it get added, that takes energy, energy that doesn't seem to come from anywhere, hence why we call it dark energy, dark in the context of it being mysterious in function and origin. Amusingly, while conservation of energy is often stated as ironclad law, I doubt anyone is still living who actually learned that law while physicists believed it was without exception, as it's been about a century since the Big Bang and Hubble expansion hit the scene. So our observations are that the universe is expanding, with new bits of space popping up everywhere in between things, and we usually assume the new pockets are about a Planck volume, a teeny tiny bit of space smaller to an atom than an atom is to a planet, and these new pockets randomly appear everywhere, we assume, even inside you or I. Normally, this is irrelevant, they don't pop up so often that the forces holding us together even notice them, but the forces binding atoms are something like a trillion 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 times stronger than gravity. Gravity only has an attractive force though, so while other forces all mostly neutralize out at large distances, gravity remains entirely attractive, pulling things together. Now the big question is how fast this new space occurs, or its rate, and I think we should note that the reason why we usually discuss this as the velocity of galaxies moving from us based on their distance, approximately 70 kilometers per second per megaparsec, if we are talking about new volumes of space emerging, that value should really be in terms of new volumes, Planck volumes or reality pixels emerging per second, which would also raise the question of if it was a flat figure for the whole universe, say a billion cubic meters per second, or for a given region, a billion cubic meters per cubic light year. Because for the former, the rate that the diameter of the universe expanded would actually slow over time. You want to make a sphere 10 times wider, you need 10 cubed or 1000 times more volume, but to get it 20 times wider would take 20 cubed or 8000 times the volume, so its diameter would take 8 times longer to expand from 10 to 20 as it would if we're getting to 10 if the rate of volume increase was constant like a balloon expanding as water filled it from a tap at a set rate. On the other hand, if each cubic light year got the same fixed growth, then each time you add a new cubic light year, you get another billion cubic meters per second added to your universal volume, an accelerating increase in volume. Folks often wonder why the Big Bang didn't instantly collapse into a black hole, or indeed do so at any point in those first millions of years when its overall density and mass was high enough to count as an event horizon. There's a number of reasons this wouldn't matter by the way, for instance in an infinite universe everything pulls every direction, this was the reasoning for it in the Newtonian steady state universe model, but also if you had the new bits of space emerging at a steady rate for the whole universe, then when it was really tiny it would be expanding ridiculously rapidly compared to the current value of the universe and prevent such collapses. A black hole being ripped apart by dark energy expansion is a thing to keep in mind for discussion later today too. Now we do not actually know how this new space is being added, but we can determine the current rate and for instance we know it is not a static amount being added to the observable universe, 
since again that would cause a fast or early expansion slowing with time. We observe nothing like that, and rather apparently the reverse, so if it were some gaping hole to another dimension that energy or space was flooding from, it would have been one that was getting wider over time so to speak. And we have a tendency to assume dark energy comes from somewhere, energy being neither created nor destroyed, so the idea it is leaking in from some other place makes sense. Such a place could run out over time, or it could be a tiny hole got poked that caused the Big Bang and which has been getting ripped wider by the passage of all that dark energy as time went on, causing an accelerating expansion, like a hole in a dike or dam ripping wider and flooding, though in such a case the flood stops eventually as water runs out or equilibrium is achieved. In such an analogy, dark energy floods in ever faster but eventually slows or stops. Alternatively, it could just be that the energy comes from nowhere at all, and we're just wrong to assume energy needs to be conserved universally, depending on how one defines the universe or some total of reality. That's an example of a mental bias that could blind us to figuring it out, after all, time presumably comes from somewhere too, if space and time and energy are all correlated, but we don't really ask if time is leaking in from other dimensions or has a set number that will drain out of the hourglass and leave the universe in a frozen instant when it does, which it might. All of which is a good reminder that when it comes to understanding the fundamental layers of reality, we still have a lot of work to do. But in the current state of play, it appears that if we picked a pair of galaxies separated by a megaparsec or a few million light years, that they would have about 70 kilometers of new space forming between them every second nowadays. But if we jump back in time a few billion years and looked at two other galaxies separated by that same megaparsec, the amount of new space emerging every second would have been less, and in the future we think it would be more. Note, this is the space appearing for each megaparsec of distance, we are not talking about how the rate of expansion will increase as those galaxies move further apart, which they do, but that the fundamental new amount of space being created in any volume of the universe is rising too. We do not know for sure yet, and so we definitely do not know the rate yet, but we can treat it as a sort of analogy for a big balloon expanding under pressure inside as we fill it with some gas or fluid and for a perfect fluid we have an equation of state, discussing the expansion of that balloon or volume based on that fluid's pressure and density. We call that W, lowercase, and it is dimensionless, no units of meters or megaparsecs or anything, and in this case the cosmological equation of state is that expansion divided by the energy density of the universe, the latter being what generates the gravity tugging things back together. Energy, not mass, is what generates gravity, mass just happens to be the regular dense type of energy we see yanking on things. Our current observations place this cosmological constant as W being about negative 1, and the universe will be accelerating expansion for any case where W is less than negative 1 third. And for instance, if W equals negative 1 third, then we do have to deal with magnetic monopoles, a topic for another time. Now an accelerating universe is very different than a big rip universe, because for the big rip scenario, which often introduces the notion of phantom energy in addition to dark energy, what we see is an unchecked increase in the rate at which new space is emerging in any given volume, so it keeps rising until eventually new bits of space are constantly emerging between stars so fast that galaxies fall apart, not just galaxies floating away from each other. 
But it does not stop there, because this force will continue rising till it's so strong compared to gravity that even planets have new space emerging between them and their sun, too quick for gravity to hold them together. But then it will continue, until gravity can't even hold planets together. Now gravity is very weak compared to other forces, but eventually this should rise until even molecules are being ripped apart by it. Then perhaps electrons ripped from around nuclei, then nuclei ripped apart. Things get a bit iffier here though, because the strong nuclear force binding nuclei and quarks together does not act like electromagnetism and gravity do, where it gets weaker with distance. The force, or glue, holding a pair of quarks together is more like a spring or resistance band, the harder you pull on it, the harder it pulls back. And it only breaks when you've put enough energy into that tug to generate two new quarks with two new gluons binding them together. This leads to one possible case of a recycled universe, as each new place becomes a source for a wellspring of new matter, though this is rather problematic as a new Big Bang, since the conditions wouldn't be quite like the original Big Bang state. The fact that it's occurring all over the universe, not a single point, is not problematic though for the reasons stated earlier about how an infinite universe can keep expanding even as finite bits of it could expand, and that doesn't imply that the universe in its entirety was ever point-like, just our observable chunk of it. Now we don't really understand dark energy, phantom energy, quantum gravity, or quarks well enough to know if this constant re-rip of quark pairs spawning new matter might be possible, but we also don't know what comes below the quark level, if anything. However, we potentially get space-time itself being ripped apart by these new bits of space-time, which can present some other Big Bang-like recycling. Now this happening in only 20 billion years is, as I said earlier, entirely the result of picking a value of W equals negative 1.5. A big rip scenario is a call for any value of W being less than negative 1. At a value of exactly negative 1, the equation for the time till the big rip has 0 in the denominator, resulting in an infinite time till the rip, while a value of negative 2 would make it happen in just 10 billion years, and at negative 10, more like a billion years. Alternatively, for W equal negative 1.1, the time to the rip is 100 billion years, and for W equal negative 1.01, it is a trillion years. A long time, but still inside the period we would expect star formation to still be occurring strongly. For W equal negative 1.001, it would rise to 10 trillion years, and so on. The equation is on the screen if you want to play with it. And as you can see this also varies with the current density of all the matter in the universe, omega sub m, which they used as 0.3 in that original paper. The higher that number, the longer to the big rip too, is the portion of the universe that is matter rather than dark energy. The bad news is that our current values put that number as negative 0.27 plus or minus 0.04, so anywhere from 0.23 to 0.31, rather than 0.3 which tilts towards a quicker big rip, though the effect is minimal. Now we still don't know what value W is, the Chandra X-ray Observatory put it at negative 0.991 for instance, which is bigger than negative 1, which again was all cut off for a big rip. So if our interpretation of the Chandra data is correct, the big rip will never be happening, however our current value for W is negative 1 plus or minus 0.08, anywhere from negative 9.2 to negative 1.08, maybe even exactly negative 1, 
and the high end of that range of options is closer to 100 billion years, not 20, with most values being much longer and half being never. As a side note, if this constant is changeable it might be locally changeable, which might be a technology that civilizations would pursue to keep themselves in isolated pockets of stable space, or the reverse to either serve as a power plant or weapon, which would make it a lot like the MD device from Ender's Game that makes big chunks of matter, like planets, explode as all the forces holding their particles together get unglued. Incidentally, this is a very avalanche effect for big rips, as the speed it goes up at just keeps climbing as the density of dark energy compared to matter arises. What this means is that when the end comes, it comes quick, though how quickly depends on how quick the big rip is happening in general. In the fastest scenario I've seen presented, the Milky Way would still take tens of millions of years to dissolve into scattered stars, redshifting away like the galaxies are doing currently, but in that same model the Earth would stay glued to the Sun through all of that, and only be ripped away months before the end, and we'd keep the Moon to only a few days out. The Sun would explode about half an hour before Doomsday, and Earth and the other planets shortly after. Folks in spaceships or rotating habitats would have a few more minutes before those ripped apart, and themselves a few moments later. Whether or not quarks explode at this point into more quarks or space-time rips apart into new Big Bangs or a bunch of other scenarios depends on many things we still do not know. It would seem to be rather academic to the folks living in it though. It is nice to imagine that your civilization being ripped apart to atomic dust might form the tapestry of a new universe or a new epoch, but if you can't witness it then it's not that cheering. Now one could point out that our ancestors did not get to see the civilization we built either, but they had continuity with us, there's no continuity to a new Big Bang or recycling event. So a big rip might come before we get to the point of star formation ceasing, but probably not by more than an order of magnitude, which would normally be cheering except in this series we discuss ways to make civilizations living in the expected trillion-year period of natural star formation seem like mayflies compared to those dwelling around black holes, which also raises the question of what the Big Rip does to black holes, which is undecided, but a couple of interesting notes on that. First, time slows down near black holes, and by a lot more the closer you get to them. It does not freeze at the event horizon, that's a common misconception, the frozen moment would be down in the singularity at the core, if that exists, but the rate of time slows increasingly as you get nearer the core. Now we don't really know much about dark energy yet but it would seem plausible that it does relate to local time passage, so that a pocket of space that is relatively slower might also be expanding slower too, and that the dark energy rate may be accelerating slower as well. This would imply dark energy expansion occurred slightly more in the intergalactic void than deep inside galaxies where time runs just a bit slower. So it is testable if we get good enough with our astronomy. That's very speculative but it's part of the reason we can't really say what the Big Rip would do to a black hole. If true, one could imagine a narrow window in which civilizations might have to duck into the event horizons of supermassive black holes, just barely under, and wait for dark energy to rip them free of it and return them to a regenerated universe. Now beyond assuming that this quark or sub-quark ripping event triggers a stop to allow new universes, this would normally fail as an option for Fermi Paradox reasons, 
It's implying every 100 billion years or trillion years or whatever we have these big resets, big rip epochs in a cycle. If someone can survive to the end of a big rip epoch and into another, then we have little reason to assume we represent epoch 1, in which it is implied to be an infinite cycle, so where are the survivors of prior universes? Since we don't see them, then presumably survival is not possible using this or some parallel technique of fording up for the storm. This is another reason for the long cosmology lecture to start things, because the flaw here is that there is no cycle going on. It is assuming the universe expands and basically every so often divides into huge numbers of new universes in fiery eruptions, not that our universe re-emerges from some single point. So the folks sheltering in some black hole or some artificial space pocket fort here on Earth are entering into a new universe in which the scattered atoms of even our own moon are already far, far away from this new universe they are erupting into before it begins its own expansion. So you only exist in a universe, in the observable Hubble volume sense, with a precursor civilization from before the last bang rip if by freak coincidence your Big Bang was in one of the spots a civilization was sheltering, which is insanely unlikely, especially in a Big Rip cosmology where huge amounts of new space-time are flooding into things even compared to normal expansion we see nowadays in our mostly empty universe. Critical notion there is that it's not a cycle or reset, it's either a total end or a constant expansion and regeneration, albeit the kind only allowing phoenix-like resurrections, or the quantum kind we discussed in High Own Stars. Infinite time permits infinite random reincarnation, see our episode Infinite Improbability Issues to understand the seeming insanity of that. We also have to come back to the big question of why there is dark energy, where it comes from, if anywhere, and why it's increasing. If it is external, then it could run out or is coming from some infinite source of power beyond the veil of perceptible reality. Civilizations might be able to figure this out, and that does not just allow scenarios for survival, but actually taking advantage of it. I mentioned the Fermi Paradox a bit ago, and one solution Dark Energy and Big Rips potentially allow is that we don't see alien empires everywhere because they tap Dark Energy for power rather than stars, and they can use that power to craft new space-time or universes rather than going out and colonizing their own native galaxy. Now these are various scenarios for surviving catastrophe, but what if civilizations determine that it cannot be done and the whole universe is going to self-destruct in 100 billion years? First, we should not assume they're instantly going to become a civilization that views time cyclically or gives up on concepts like purpose. Let's be honest, nobody really thinks of their civilizations in million-year terms, and the day-to-day effect on civilization of us adopting the steady-state universe model for a few centuries, then burying it for the Big Bang and Heat Death version, has basically been zero. Finding out the world will end in 4 billion years changes little to us, and nobody really cares when we modify that to maybe a billion years instead for the oceans and the air to evaporate off as the sun warms up. So too, the Civilizations at the End of Time series is my most popular, with millions of views, and we have discussed ways to save Earth from either fate and last for eons beyond, but nobody has suggested we enact new policy or culture around this option, myself included. So we should not assume Civilizations faced with a big rip billions of years from now are culturally impacted by it too much. That said, they obviously aren't pursuing the hyper-long-term strategies we have looked at elsewhere in this series, 
You do not go around making substellar mass black holes as long-term deposits for your civilization to draw energy from in the dark epoch after the last star was born out. Indeed, no black hole in excess of a gigaton with a lifespan of 1.5 trillion years would seem to make sense as a Hawking radiation power plant, and at 356 megawatts they are already rather low-powered for most interesting applications. Of course, you hardly care about most types of waste at this point, Ultra-cored computation for post-biological life forms loses much of its appeal, as do any strategies that are aiming for maximum collection of mass and energy for long-term and slow use. The universe is ending in 20 billion years or 100 or whichever, why build with trillions of years in mind, let alone trillions of trillions of trillions? However, we should not extrapolate that out too far, we are talking about billions of years, implying civilizations that need to appreciate efficiency, but it does have some implications. As an example, some internally lit O'Neosonder of 100,000 people and 100 square kilometers of living area still needs something like a gigawatt of power provided by a fusional black hole generator. So it is burning through a kilogram of matter per year for that black hole generator and more like one a week for fusion fuel. That builds up as a supply need in the long term, but that habitat mass is somewhere around a gigaton minimum, and equal mass of fuel reserves for gigaton would last for billions of years on fusion fuel and something like a trillion years for a black hole generator, and the latter runs on any matter, whereas even deuterium-based fusion still runs on a material a lot more abundant than all the materials that habitat is built out of, so they simply have no reason to worry about energy concerns. It also affects intergalactic colonization scenarios, because if the whole universe is ending in 20 billion years, you don't bother sending ships out to some place they won't reach for 20 billion years. Additionally when it comes to colonizing distant galaxies, your maximum reach is essentially any galaxy whose redshift is decently less than your maximum engine speed. However if the rate of expansion is accelerating a ton, then that colonial reach needs adjusted even further downward. I suspect it would still be profitable to go out to stars even a billion light years away, but not much further, and moreover, only profitable as new territory, because you wouldn't be able to return with galaxies worth of new material, like we contemplated in our episode Fleet of Stars, nor could you afford to wait the billions of years for its arrival. Now you might still bring a lot of mass into one place, especially if your models show any advantage to slowing local time or if a higher local matter to dark energy ratio helps prolong things. Things like planets built around artificial smaller black holes already have plenty of advantages as do ones built around normal or supermassive black holes, or what we call birch planets, which can be composed of many concentric shells, each many trillions of times larger than Earth in living area. Those have slower time on their lower levels, and you can get across the event horizon of those juggernaut galactic core black holes without being shredded by tidal forces. I could imagine folks migrating down to the lower levels of those birch planets to go high near them while the upper levels were dumped into the core to widen it to swallow the lower levels right before the big rip hit. One other option comes to mind though for us to close on, A thing we focus on in other End of Times episodes is that it's the thought that counts, not the official clock. Those black hole civilizations assume hyper-efficient but slow calculation, resulting in post-biological minds thinking a trillion times slower than we do, but living trillions of trillions of trillions of trillions of times longer, and thus enjoying trillions of trillions of trillions of times more subjective life experience. 
Someone with an accelerated consciousness moving a million times faster than our own, as we often contemplate for post-biological life, can enjoy a normal human lifetime of thought in under an hour. So Big Rip Civilization might aim to burn hot and fast, bypass the efficiency of computation in order to maximize the use of resources on a clock. However, this reminded me of two things. First, we have suggested in the past that a civilization around a giant and short-lived star might employ the same reasoning to build a matrioska brain of stunning power if unimpressive efficiency around supergiants. We also suggest that they might find some way to enjoy an extended final moment of very fast thought, using that rapid but powerful supernova shockwave as a power source for running computational thought on before it burned out. And back when the Big Crunch was still considered a plausible scenario compared to heat death, a thought cosmologist Frank Tipler suggested was what he called the Omega Point, that a universe which slows its expansion, rather than accelerating, and eventually begins to contract, begins offering a pathway to vast, and arguably infinite computation as the collapse occurs. This concept has its flaws, and gets a lot of criticism, and we may examine it more on its own episode or one on the Big Crunch, but the basic notion is that as the universe collapses, it's essentially doing the opposite of the ever-expanding and entropy-increasing universe, so you get more heat to run more power with ever shorter distance between your various nodes of calculation and computation, for even faster thinking or simulation. Now this interests us today in combination with our discussion of living around giant stars, because if your civilization can't find ways to escape into some other universe, or shield yourselves from the effect, it probably can find a way to use ultra-high dark energy rates for power production and possibly also use that expansion for rapid cooling. So you might opt to take the notion of burning the candle at both ends even further and perhaps find a way to ramp up your power production, and thus computation, at ever faster pace as the Big Rip initiates, so as to enjoy a ton of thought, or even an infinite amount of it, before you and the Universe end. A few instants of real time stretch to eons of subjective time, one brief moment of eternity. We have a couple of announcements, but first, my wife Sarah and I recently started piloting lessons and I'm considering filming some of those as a side project. I would be curious for your feedback on that, but I tend to like to study up on things in advance, and recently, I've been watching the Learn to Fly an Airplane series by Howard Fordor over on Skillshare, and is one of many examples of the top-notch classes they have for helping you explore new hobbies or professional skills. I found it great for improving everything from my hobbies like gardening and cooking to professional skills I use for the show like writing, animating, photography, video production, and a ton more. If you have a skill you are trying to learn, Skillshare is the perfect place to start, and it can help you make 2022 a year of new learning, growth, and connection through creativity. Skillshare is ad-free so you can stay in the zone while you're exploring new skills, and they always have new content, new premium classes launched each week, so there's always something new to discover, and they subtitle everything in Spanish, French, Portuguese, and German if English isn't your first language. Skillshare is an online community of millions with thousands of inspiring classes, and you can try it out for free. The first 1,000 people to use the link in this episode's description will get a one-month free trial of Skillshare. Act now and start learning today. 
So as mentioned, we have a couple quick announcements before we get to our schedule. First and foremost, I mentioned some possible episodes this script made me think of doing, like examining Tipler's Omega Point or Cylinder Ideas, or The Big Crunch, and so we will have a poll over on our community tab, please head over after this episode and vote to help us pick which one we'll be doing. Second, the other end of that is we often get the episode topic poll ideas off of Patreon or our Facebook forum, and recently did one of those on Patreon that resulted in the upcoming episode, Moon, Mega City, in March. And drafting that episode reminded me that we still have a lot of places in the solar system we haven't explored on the show, and I thought we'd return to our Outward Bound series this spring, and we'll run another poll of topics for those after our livestream Q&A next weekend, but we will be taking the poll ideas for that livestream Q&A, and whichever ones seem most popular or interesting will be all five on that poll so make sure to join Sarah and I for that. That livestream Q&A is going to be on Sunday, January 30th at 4pm Eastern Time, but before that we will have our last episode for January coming out, and we will end the month like we started it, by discussing cool things you can do with nuclear bombs, as we look at terraforming Mars and other worlds by nuking them green and blue. After that we will jump into February for a look at the future of solar power. Then we will take a couple episodes to contemplate Kessler Syndrome, the risk of a cascade of orbital debris around Earth, and the implications it might have on the Fermi Paradox, as well as other scenarios, natural or artificial, which might imprison a civilization on their homeworld. Now if you want alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel and hit the notifications bell. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the like button and share it with others, and leave a comment below. You can also join the conversation on any of our social media forums, find our audio-only versions of the show, or donate to support future episodes, and all of those options and more are listed in the links in the episode description. Until next time, thanks for watching, and have a great week!